the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Fantastic. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. You know, Hanukkah's over, and we still haven't resolved the eternal dilemma of how do you spell Hanukkah. <laughs> I've seen more spellings. Is it Hanukkah? Two K's, C-H, just to see, because there's no phonetic. Uh, I don't understand the two K's. That I never understood. But the C-H is to try to capture, you know, that guttural sound, the <laughs> ha. Hanukkah. Uh, you don't have anything in English that resembles that. Right. So that's why you have the C-H. So it's definitely not an H. You need more than the H. You need more than the H. More than the H. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't need the two Ks. We put the See, C Christmas, in there. Christmas, you guys all agree on the spelling of Christmas? Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, but we don't agree on how it should be celebrated. Uh, you and I were talking about the Christmas tree, yeah, you know, I, Rockefeller Center and, and yeah. many Christian pageantry. Houses. Yeah, but in, in in certain sects of Christianity, especially within Protestantism, not amongst the Catholics, but amongst the Protestants, the, the Christmas tree is, is, is bad. It's wrong. Uh, they cite an Old Testament prophetic text that talks about pagan worship taking the tree and lighting it up to worship the tree. Of course, you know, we don't worship the tree, but people find these... So originally it was a pagan symbol, you're saying? Well, yeah, that's what they're saying, and it's been brought into Christianity. But then again, a lot of pagan symbols have been brought into Christianity, into Judaism. Look, I mean, we, we, we look at the reflection of the Babylonian context in the captivity of Jews in the Persian context, of the Jews, and certain things were brought in little by little, holidays and festivals and whatnot, and we give them different meaning. That has been done throughout history, you know, but there are people who nitpick even in our religion. You know, someone asked me recently about the name Alexander. How is it you have Jews named Alexander? When did that become a Jewish name? I said because when Alexander was beneficent, to the Jewish people, Alexander became a Jewish name. We <laughs> named our kids name. Alexander say, thank you, Alexander, <laughs> for treating us so well. So we've always, you know, looked at the surroundings and saying, uh, but the attention the tree gets is somewhat disproportionate to other parts of the festival, isn't it? In well, some places? I think, think about it, though, Rabbi, in, in this secularized world and secularized America that we're in, they're not going to put a statue of Jesus at Rockefeller Center and have uh, Mariah Carey come and and sing Christmas and have thousands of people. So I think that when we find symbols that are neutral and yet connected to a religious belief, people feel more comfortable, especially the secular world feels more comfortable with it. How long do you keep that tree? Because I see some people who discard it shortly thereafter. Some keep it, you know, through New Year's. Rabbi, I've seen the tree thrown out just before Easter, so, <laughs> you know, and it, and it, the Christmas lights around the house, they used to take them down, put them away, and put them up. Now they leave, some people leave them out all year, so, you know, it depends. It, it's And, and think, in Hispanic culture, because, you know, I'm, I was born in Panama, came to the United States here, and in the Spanish culture, we celebrate the, the three kings, so mm-hmm. we will have it, it extend right into January, and that tree remains a part of the celebration. So it's a month, almost a two-month celebration. You remind me when my son was born, 
was at Lenox Hill Hospital. And uh, Cardinal O'Connor and two of his associates came with him. And there was a nurse there. I remember she had a, a rather lengthy uh, chain with a crucifix. And she said, who is this child that these three members of the clergy are coming to greet? And I said to her, look, I'm Jewish, but it did happen once before. Yeah. You know, ah, that's it happened a good once one. before in, in, in history. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things I remember during this period of Hanukkah, Christmas, and Jewish-Christian cooperation is we used to exchange places and that we would say, for example, to people in the medical profession, you're a Christian doctor, you take off, Jewish doctor, I will work that day in the hospital. There was this cooperation, and it still goes on. Yeah. Uh, and it's wonderful to see when people say, you know, I can keep my tradition. That doesn't mean I don't care about you keeping your tradition. Uh, and that to me is reassuring because, you know, in a time of so much conflict and confrontation that we still recognize the humanity of the other and the other person wants to celebrate a faith and we have to find a place so that person can go home and be with family and go to church. It should be a season that brings us together, a season of love, joy. It should be the most wonderful time of the year, right? Where we come together and we celebrate our different beliefs and our faith and our symbols. But it's a time of exchange. It's a time of giving. Um, you know, I did my Christmas sermon a little early, uh, but I talked about the fact that Christmas is an expression of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, begotten son. So giving, gifts, sharing with one another, exchanging gifts, that's what Christmas is really all about. You know, I hear people say sometimes, oh, I see, I see the homeless, it hurts my heart. Um, I see, you know, uh, people suffering, it hurts my heart. And I say, well, does it hurt your pocketbook? You know, like, what, how about reaching into your pocketbook and doing something to help? You know, uh, we call that, you know, like, it's cardiac religion. You know, it's all on, in the heart, but it doesn't, you know, filter into any other area. And I think you're right. The measure, the measure of love is giving. Mm -hmm. If you really love someone, you want to give to that person. If you love a cause, you want to give. So it's not enough to, to proclaim and to preach. Uh, you have to participate. That's, that to me is the essence of community. You're there. You're being you know, uh, part of the experience. You're helping somebody else to celebrate. So, yeah, this is a time. Charity. You know, S H I like that. A R I T Y like in addition yeah, to charity. Yeah, 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 charity. But that's that's what I've preached. Love is the desire to benefit the one loved at the expense of self. Love desires to give. Love is sacrificial. And that's what it's all about. If you truly love, show me. You I gosh, I forget what brought what, what uh show it was on that we were talking and you said, Well, if you claim to love your neighbor, show me. Show me how you're doing that. How are you putting that into practice? And that's where the rubber meets the road. And love your neighbor who is different. You know, someone said the hardest commandment in the Bible is love your neighbor, especially when you have a neighbor like mine. Yeah. Right, right? <laughs> so we say love your neighbor. Sometimes that's a difficult commandment to fulfill uh, because that person can be totally different than you are, has a different political point of view. Uh, and how do you get along living side by side? Uh it's very easy to be loving to someone who totally agrees with you. Yeah. But love is not just about unanimity of opinion. And finding it's finding common ground. And it begins with the life and dignity of the human person. 
We're all human beings to be respected. We all have value. We all have worth. I, and that's why I think we as clergy have to hold our leadership, our political leadership in particular, accountable. Mm -hmm. Because when they seek to divide us, when they seek to pit one against the other, mm -hmm. I think we have a responsibility to say you're not going to get away with that. In your tradition, you don't have politicians come into the, the service, do you? And, I, and address... Well, I wish I could... Oh, wait. I wish I could lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> you mean no, you we do? do? We do, yeah. I, you know, I, I think sometimes too much. I think there's a, there's a place for politicians to come in and to, to speak, uh, but we shouldn't dilute the essence of why we're there. This is a spiritual moment. Right. It's a time to move closer right. to God. So, yes, look, we have political leaders as you do, but you don't do it at the expense of that service to God, the yeah. service to one another. Yeah. Uh, we give them three minutes. They don't usually stay within the three minutes. We give them three minutes and uh, we don't we don't invite them. They ask if they could come. And that's that's how we, we keep that because people come for something, a spiritual experience. They come for holy guidance, you know, and and not just to hear what they've been hearing on the news again and again now in person. Uh, and yet at the same time, we they're going to those are the voters out there in the pews. So they need to hear the heart and spirit of that elected official. And we're careful. So it's not a bunch of them. We don't want that every Sunday. But when you think about your, the next mayor, you know, your police commissioners, individuals who are key, you want the people to hear their heart so that when they vote, they know that they're voting for someone that they've heard their heart. Yeah. And there's an opportunity to have an exchange. And I've been to one of your breakfasts uh, where you've had political leadership there. And you can challenge, you can, you know, ask some, some very pertinent questions. Um, and there's the day after the reckoning, you know. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, I don't like is when people come to a house of worship pre-election and post-election. Yeah, then see, you don't you see, don't them, see again. them anymore. Right, right. I think there has to be a, you have to sign a, you know, uh, a commitment. I'm coming now before the election, but I have to come after the election too. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hold you to it. We have somebody very interesting during this time of year. Uh, a great guest that you've introduced yeah. to me. Dear friend of mine, uh, Professor Dr. Ed Stetzer, um, and we'll introduce him, you know, a professor at Wheaton College. But Ed and I have taken on some of the big issues of race, of equity, inequities in our society, and we've done some conferences together. And he, look, he's a staunch evangelical. That's where he is. That's his position. But he's bigger than that. He's able to have conversations with those he may disagree with. Not you know. so. That's what I love about this program. Yeah, a staunch Jew and a staunch sounds like beginning of a joke. A staunch evangelical <laughs> can sit together and and share the beauty of their traditions, even with disagreement of uh, different positions. Absolutely, and That's, respect and learning and expansion by getting more perspective. So we'll be back with our guest, Dr. Ed Stetzer, more of The Rev and the Rabbi. So stay tuned, 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Rabbi? You know... I've I, got the guests, you know. Yeah, but I thank you for allowing a person of the Jewish faith to be here on the Christmas show. 
Ah, yeah. I speak. That's right. Uh, because thankfully we live in a country where Hanukkah and Christmas can be celebrated by our respective, you know, faith constituencies, and we don't have to compete with one another. We uh, we really can coexist. I think that's what God intended. You think so? I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, I've been preaching the wrong message for a long time. Well, I get to introduce our guest. He's a dear friend. We've done so many different things together, and I love him and appreciate him and respect him dearly. And uh, his name is Professor Ed Stetzer, Ph.D. He is a professor and dean at Wheaton College, where he also serves as executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, which I, Rabbi, I've got to take you there. I got a chance to take a look. That's at right. That. We were in the building. Amazing. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, was, I, I met was there. Billy Graham at the New York Board of Rabbis. Well, well done. done. Well <laughs> done. With Mark Tannenbaum. I, I think you have taken you. it to another level. Uh, <laughs> let, let me let me let me continue. I want you know grand introduction here. He's planted, revitalized, and pastored churches, trained pastors, and church planters on six continents. Has served two master's degrees. Uh, has earned two master's degrees and two doctorates, and has written hundreds of articles and a dozen books. He's Regional Director for Lausanne, North America, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine, and frequently cited in, interviewed by, and writes for oh my. <laughs> news outlets such as oh USA my. Today, CNN. Uh, he's the founding editor of the Gospel Project, curriculum used by more than 1.7 million that individuals each week for Bible <laughs> stories. But most importantly, uh, wait, wait, he's also got a radio show. I do. All right, I national do. radio show called Ed Stetcher Live. And, Which and is not a modest title, City. I might add. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't yeah, pick yeah, the title. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, pick yeah. the title. <laughs> well, Ed, Ed, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, it's pre- great to look, be here. Before, beyond all that, you're a friend and a brother. Love and appreciate you, Appreciate you, you my Thanks friend. For Good to see you again. Our Christmas show, day after Christmas. I know, I love yesterday. it. It's still, people are still celebrating Christmas Absolutely. weekend. Absolutely. And you know, there's 12 days of Christmas. You may have heard. There's a song. I won't sing it, but you may have heard. <laughs> eight, days weren't, eight days weren't good enough for you. <laughs> exactly. Like Hanukkah, no, we you had to outdo us. Come on. You know, there's a, there, there's a sermon the day after, yeah. because I find very often it's what you do the day after. You know, we hear, for example, at a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, I promise you know, I'm going to now continue my, my commitment the day after, do they? A wedding ceremony. <laughs> I love you today and, you know, the day after. Yeah. And what happens the day after. So uh, it's nice to see that, that continuous spirit. By the it. way, I get quite a few sermons from him throughout the broadcast. He comes <laughs> I up can with see. these great one-liners. He, you, know? you can say he's got a gifted communicator here. I like that. <laughs> and, and what has changed about Christmas? I mean, we've come through COVID, but also a shift in cultural values, man. And I know you're big on the culture and what's happening in culture. Um, where are we with our Christian holiday? Yeah, so for sure. I mean, certainly Christmas has become increasingly a secular holiday. People participate. Um, Kathy Grossman uh, at the USA Today was a religion reporter there for years. Now she's with Publishers Weekly. She wrote an article, kind of controversial back in the day, called Christmas has become more more about jingle than it is about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and I think that for many Christians, we lament that reality. You know, and actually, we're you know this show is broadcasting on December 26th. It's actually in... What our liturgical friends, you know, you and I aren't pastoring in liturgical churches, but they call it uh, Christmas tide. So this is still Christmas in the liturgical calendar. But I think a lot of us and a lot of the culture has sort of moved away from Christmas as the celebration that God the Son was born, Jesus the Christ. He took on flesh. He was fully God and fully man, and he came to save his people. And so when we hear those words, uh, we know those are Christian words. And sometimes Christmas has lost some of that Christian feel. I'm, I'm not of the view that, you know, if someone says happy holidays in the in the line at the at the store that we 
should snarl back, Jesus is the reason for the season or mm-hmm. anything like that. But, but I do think something is lost when we don't focus on that the miracle of Christmas is, again, that God the Son was born, Jesus the Christ. He'd live a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins in our place, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. That's the bigger picture of Christmas that I think often is lost. And for a long time in American society, we would say Merry Christmas and yeah. Happy Hanukkah. For sure. It was not like we had to choose one over the other. We've coexisted. Uh, you know, with religious religious plurality here in America, Rabbi? You know, uh, I remember growing up in Massachusetts and yeah. there was this concern uh, by people of, people of my faith that somehow we're going to be marginalized mm-hmm. or we're going to uh, be part of some kind of secret conversion plan that all of these Christian symbols placed sure. in all of these public places. It's an attempt to, to make us closer to mm-hmm. Christianity. And I always say, you know, when you have a commitment to your own faith, you're not threatened by anybody else. It's when you don't have a commitment yeah. that perhaps, you know, you have some of those concerns. I, I am thankful and I'm comfortable walking down the street and seeing the different symbols and saying, God bless America, mm-hmm. that we can have the proximity to one another without this competitive spirit. I think sometimes in the past we've had, maybe even in the present, we, we tend to focus on the gifts how can we do more, sure, you know, sure. in terms of that secular yep. uh, attitude you spoke of? But I, but I think because of Christmas, Ed, Hanukkah has been elevated. Yeah, for sure. Right? We were talking biblical. about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's elevated in a positive way. There's yeah. nothing. There's nothing threatening to you about Hanukkah. Nope. There's nothing threatening to me about Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I think we can learn from each other about the beauty of mm-hmm. our traditions. Yeah, and I, I think ultimately being a pluralistic society is really essential for me as a minister of the gospel. I want us to be in a pluralistic society, and I want to defend the right of people to not participate in holidays or to not participate in religious observances. I think ultimately that freedom of religion matters for all. And occasionally we'll see some, you know, I wrote an article a few weeks ago in USA Today about a comment that one um, Christian leader mentioned that, you know, we, we need to be one nation under God. That means one religion. Well, no, that's not what we, we want to live in a world where women and men are making uh, consideration. And I believe that the gospel can stand up to scrutiny and can be told and shared and spread around the world, even when people don't agree or share other messages of other faiths. And I, as a Jew, have the right to say, that's not my tradition. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I can reject yeah, for that sure. teaching. For sure. Right? There are those who think, and they have, look, I remember I, I told Rev years ago I was on a program with Reverend Falwell. Yeah. A discussion. Yeah. And, I said, do you believe we're misguided as a, you know, in our view? He says, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And no. everyone left the room friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was no, you know, and th- this idea that I, that my right is your wrong, yeah. Yeah. you know, is something, you know, I think God intended us to, to, to live with one another, mm-hmm. to argue with one another. At the end of the day, I don't have to win the argument yeah. that I'm right and you're wrong. But I bet you would be a formidable opponent in an argument. I would love to have a good <laughs> – let's not do that today. But you are says, so I'm articulate. right and you're right, Ed. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. We're all right. And you have the right to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. But, but, but when you think about it, you know, um, I love the, the fact that we can discuss each other's sure. faith. Sure. And, uh, uh, Ed, you're a professor. You would know this. I'm sure you've had comparative religious studies along the way. Every religion is exclusive. Every religion claims that has exclusive otherwise claims. it wouldn't exist. Right. Every it religion, would not religion exist has exclusive truth claims. Exactly. What's probably different is some religions say that there's only one way. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So it makes exclusivistic truth, truth claims. But there are 
truth claims that are made that are exclusivistic that doesn't – not every religion believes that there's only one way. Mm-hmm. That tends to be something more Christian, more evangelical. But others do believe that. Islam certainly would – again, but not all expressions of Islam, not all expressions of people who identify as Christian. And the conversion of the world is yeah. – Yeah, they're, that's pretty they're, common. They're yeah, pretty common. Pretty common. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and again, the fact that you believe you're the right way and I'm the wrong mm-hmm. way, I can live with that because yeah. I know – because I, 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 I really, really believe – my tradition is best for me. I always mm-hmm. say my mom was the best for me. Your mom was the best for you. I can respect your mom. You can respect mine. If you think that my religion you know, is not in alignment with yours, okay, mm-hmm. so what? We don't have to be in alignment. I can live with that. You don't have to accept that. Uh, and, I, and I say thankfully we're in America. We're not living in the period of the Crusades. We're not living in a period. Yeah, because it hasn't always been the case that yeah, yeah. Christians said, Jews, you can disagree. I mean, that hasn't always been the case of other religions as well. Yeah, And you know how mm-hmm. Jews were afraid, for example, on Good Friday, sure. Easter Sunday, to go out publicly. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. It was mm-hmm. dangerous. We're not at that point yeah. anymore. Yeah. And we need to you know, write better chapters, obviously. That's good. So, and break it down. I mean, you know, Christianity and Christians are not monolithic. Great, correct. Even evangelical right. Christians are not. But you and I would use the term evangelical to describe ourselves. But even within that, there's different people with different views. What What are the different? Because I mean, we, you know, Rabbi and I, we talk. We have Reformed Jews, Orthodox Jews. Yeah. You have atheist Jews, conservative Jews, within the context of evangelicals. Yes. Yeah. All right, because they have come to the forefront as a result. Or sure, we have come to the forefront. Sure, yeah, yeah. Don't be talking about like somebody else. Years, I'm, right? in, I'm in this too with you. <laughs> so so what's the div- express the diversity of yeah. evangelicals? Okay, so when we start first talking about the grand tradition, the great tradition. So we've got um, you know people who use the word Christian to describe themselves. Uh, Orthodox, for example. My stepfather and mother are Eastern Orthodox. He's a priest. Um, you've got Roman Catholic. You know, I grew up on Long Island as a Roman Catholic. Um, you've got Protestants. And then evangelicals are a subset of Protestants, and that's kind of the key thing. And historically, most recently, people have pointed to what's called the Bebbington Quadrilateral, just four things, big word for four things, that evangelicals have a biblicism, high view of the authority of the Bible, a crucicentrism, that Jesus' death on the cross, crucifix, crucicentrism, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. conversionism, and this is key, evangelicals like you and me believe that people are... Uh, dead in their trespasses and sins, the New Testament says, and need to be converted, made alive in Christ. And fourthly, activism, where you know people are living out the implications of the gospel, sharing the gospel. So one of the things that people don't always like is evangelicals tend to be people who want to share their faith in a world that not everyone's as tolerant as the rabbi, uh, that in a world that doesn't often like people to share is their faith. Is it the activism of those four uh, that Bevington talks about? Is it the activism that... Uh, I, 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 I'd like to say inspire, yeah, sure. but motivates them to get involved politically. Oh, because you yeah. know, evangelicals have been on the political scene for a long time, yeah, sure. but more pronounced, in, like, uniquely in the last so, in the last few years, yeah. in particular, line in the Trump administration. Um, I think activism has been a thing for a long time, and what I wish most people listening today would know is that all kinds of ministries in their towns and their communities is actually done, serving the poor, the hurting, the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, is done because of the activism of evangelicals. Mm-hmm. But they also have concerns about issues in culture and will get aligned, like you and I both have spoken up on cultural issues as well. Talk about conversionism yeah. because talk about uh, how does that, how is the implementation of that? For example, Vis-a-vis the Jewish people, obviously, right. sure. you know, that's where my concern. Sure. What does that sure. mean, actively going into Jewish neighborhoods? I know, for example, we have Jews for Jesus, yeah. you know, which is a real concern for us because we think 
theologically it's inaccurate, mm-hmm. right? It, uh, you can't be a Jew sure, for Jesus, sure. right? Uh, or I, I said if we were to form an alternate body called Christians without Christ, right. you know, right. it, it wouldn't be appreciated. Talk about what conversionism means on a practical approach. Yeah, for sure. Um, and let me mention, too, so the church, I'm actually the interim teaching pastor of a church in New York City called Calvary Baptist Church. It's I know, a, I know Calvary. Yep, right, up, right up there on West 57th. They're yeah. meeting at Hunter College right now. Mm-hmm. People can come next week if they don't know where to go. Um, we're, we're very connected historically to Jews for Jesus and some of the ministries that are there. So with that being said, um, I, I, the, the, the challenge, the debate, the, even the argument is, is can somebody be Jewish and we be comfortable saying someone's a Jewish atheist? That's a phrase that people would use and say. Uh, but a Jewish Christian, is that a replacement of that? We This might be an area where we disagree. But let me talk about conversion. So we believe, and there's in the New Testament, there's a, write, a writer named Paul, and he writes that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I mentioned that earlier. So that means we're spiritually deadened, not like physically dead, but spiritually deadened. Jesus uses the words, you must be born again. So what evangelicals, and not just evangelicals, all kinds of Christians do teach this, what they believe is that you would want to tell somebody so they might receive, Jesus says in John 1, to as many as received him, to them he became the right to become children of God. Mm. You might receive him and become, that's conversion, become a follower of Christ. So that's, we want, and that's what for everybody. But that's a refutation of what we believe. It would be a refutation of for, what Judaism of, believes. And what Islam believes and what yeah, atheism yeah, believes. Yeah, I mean, so for so, us, for the sure. problem is you're preaching something that contradicts who we are, right? That. Some would see that as being hurtful. Oh, for sure, right? Because sure. you're no, taking a tradition that's precious to us. You say, "No, no, you're you're on the wrong path. You shouldn't be believing." So, wait, a we've been believing this for thousands right. of years. It's, you know, this is embedded in who in our DNA, and now you're telling us, yeah. you know, we are not. And here, and here, man, this is where some of the clash has right. come. And what I think it comes back to is what you and I both agree with deeply. I can believe this. I can believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all people. And I can believe that he told me to tell everyone. He says, make disciples of all nations. He doesn't exclude one nation, one people group. So we can, I can believe that. You can believe, no, I think ultimately that's wrong. And then this is where, so I, I believe, I actually wrote the cover story for a magazine called Christianity Today a few years ago on, the, on proselytization. And I use the term rather than evangelism. Because mm-hmm. I think every religion should have the freedom to proselytize. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jews were more engaged in proselytization around the world. Jesus actually well, Abraham. mentions it. <laughs> yeah. Abraham was the first. Abraham yeah. was the first. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus yeah. mentions yeah. the proselytization yeah. of the Jews. Um, so, so what I would say is, at the end of the day, this is where that tension comes in between Christians and Jews and why important dialogues around what, what, what language should we use? How should we not articulate these things? How do we value and honor a culture and a people with thousands of years of heritage and simultaneously be obedient to the words and of Jesus? people say, look, Leave me alone. Yeah. Well, I'm, let me <laughs> this, say, when they say leave me alone, you leave me alone. Right. I mean, that's this just, is who we are. This is who we are. Exactly. Well, don't, don't trample boundaries. on who we are. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. You know, Rabbi and I have had these conversations, especially when it comes to Jews for Jesus, because it's not just uh, evangelism or proselytization. It's a- aggressive. It is really aggressive the way they've engaged mm-hmm. the Jewish community here in New York. And I understand that passion. You can believe something so deeply that you feel that if you don't, I call 
perform spiritual muggings, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then, then you're not doing your duty. You're yeah. not you're not responsible before God. Yeah. And look, uh, anything taken to the extreme becomes error, even truth. Yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly. But you, but you know, I, I look at we we had discussion with the Mormon community about posthumous baptism. Right, that was a very big conversation. Yeah, and right? what we said is it's hurtful for us because we don't we're not asking for them, and we would appreciate let us. You know, let us deal with our own, so to speak, yeah. and, you, and we came to an agreement. We did. And for those who, I mean, I'm guessing a whole lot of people don't know what you're talking about, but that's the idea in in Mormonism, uh, now preferring to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right. is they would be baptized in the name of a dead person right. so that that person might be posthumously converted. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I would say, mm-hmm. for me, I would have a deep problem with that. I, I think, ultimately, God has given us all that freedom to how to respond uh, and you, as as a, as a follower of a different faith, my respect for you as a person and the decisions you make is significant. Yet also, my love for everybody would mean that if I really believe that Jesus died on the cross for everyone, I would want to tell everyone. But also, people can say no, and they do all the time. Yeah, but the, I, I think at some point, you can tell me, I can reject it, and now let's... You know, let's stop it. And can we be friends? Can, can we, we find common I, I, I ground? Think it's, can again, we work it's, together with It's society? not just the what, it's the how. Yeah, I would think, uh, you know, obnoxiousness is not a call of God. <laughs> and so when people are being obnoxious and and not, you know, not respecting someone says, you know, I'm not interested in that. You know, I come from a family that's mostly made up of people that don't call themselves Christians. And they know what I think. I've shared with them what they ask. I'm ready to talk yeah. more. And we love each other and go See, on together. What, I, what, what we find in the Jewish community troubling is some of the people who are approached or attacked that way uh, theologically are ones who are not conversant in the faith, in Jewish faith. Sure. For example, those who came from the former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was this aggressive outreach yeah. to that community because they know they're vulnerable. They're not sure. strong in their own – in the knowledge of their tradition. That to me is wrong. We have – there's got to be some strategic agreement. Preach it. Stop it. <laughs> let's have dinner. You know, that kind of thing where we can really <laughs> I like, stop I like, it. You know? I like ending with dinner. I like dinner. ending you know with what dinner. I'm saying? We, we, we can yeah. find a but place. It, again, Jesus said, you know, and we get that from the what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, right. and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so in good. the New Testament, the question comes up, well, who is my neighbor? Because if my neighbor is all of humanity and I'm called to love them, how do I love them? at a point of contention or disagreement yeah. when it comes to religious belief. Mm. Yeah, and, that's, and this is why I do think that multi-faith dialogues can be helpful. And I think, for example, the example you gave of between Mormons and Jews I think is significant. But there are also Jewish-Christian dialogues that both recognize some of the deep failures that mm. Christians have evidenced over the centuries and, mm. and mm. the repentance that can and should flow from those. Uh, and helps maybe, as you, I think you already do understand, you guys have been in this radio program, but as you've articulated, sharing our faith is very central to our faith. And that's not true in all, it's true, it's true in Islam, it's true in Christianity, it's true in some parts of Hinduism and some parts of Buddhism. Uh, it's not true in most parts of Judaism. Right. And, and that's, that's, so what happens is sometimes if a faith is not a proselytizing faith, like your faith is primarily not seeking converts, and yet you come into a conversation with someone who is in a proselytizing faith, like Islam or Christianity, it's like, well, wait a second, that's not what faith should look like. But actually around the world, it does look like that. Yeah. And people are having robust conversations around the world and going home and respecting each other and ending yeah. it with that dinner you promised me. Yeah. But that's <laughs> sharing doesn't mean imposing. It does not, exactly. Yeah. Can we just talk for a second? Yeah. You know, uh, Ed Koch used to say, 
we Jews need friends, the state of Israel needs friends, yeah. and looking at the outreach of the evangelical sure. to the state of Israel, sure. uh, been very strong. Yeah, yeah I'll be, and I'll be there, I'll be there, um, well, if COVID, I'll be, hopefully be there in the spring, so we'll see how COVID does. Not for the first time so, either. Not for I'm the sure. first time either. No, no, no. There is a, a connection. We share a, a holy land, right? So we share a holy land. And, you know, and it's the, 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 you know, three great monotheistic faiths, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all look to uh, Israel in ways that are just unique in historical understanding. Um, and, I, and I do think that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is, is that, you know, Israel has been a friend to this country. Uh, Israel has been, um, you know, is a functional democracy in the midst of a world where there's not functional democracies. For some evangelicals, not all, there's a unique spiritual connection not just to the land, but to Israel as a nation. The restoration of Israel was at May 14th, 1948, uh, is a significant moment to many evangelicals. And it points to pro- prophetic understanding that Israel, I mean, what nation ceased to exist for 2,000 years and came back into existence? So that becomes a marker for many evangelical Christians. And, you know, and there's also a, a deep and rightful concern for Palestinians and more. So it's not just that, but it certainly is a deep love for Israel and many evangelicals. Ed, you made a distinction between loving the Jew and loving Israel sure. in our conversation sure. when we were off the air. Um, unpack that a little bit. I don't remember that. Let me think. Um. Yeah, we were talking about evangelicals, <laughs> yeah. and you said, well, some, you know, love Israel, but not necessarily have the same passion for Jewish people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, right, for sure. It's it's more of evangelicals can be very Zionist. Um, again, for I think most of the audience would just talk know that that means having a love for that nation of Israel, its restoration and more. But not maybe love their Jewish neighbor or engage their, or respect their Jewish neighbor for that mm. matter. Mm. And so I think that's part of of it. I just think that Israel has a unique place in the heart of many evangelicals for more than one reason, right. but for right. several reasons. It's and not just eschatological reasons. Yeah, eschatological it's, means the you know the coming returning of Christ. I, I don't think it's just that. I think some of it's that. Mm-hmm. Probably the first time I heard someone talk about the restoration of Israel was when a famous pastor said that Jesus is going to return on in, in uh, 1987, excuse me, 1981, because one generation, 40 years after the race right, of Israel, right, there's that. a thing called the rapture, mm-hmm. right? And so so Jesus was going to finally return in 1988. So 1981 was this key rapture moment. Um, I, I think a lot of evangelicals would look at that and say, that wasn't really helpful reading the signs of Israel's restoration that way. But it's hard to not see the biblical prophecy being fulfilled in Israel's is, – now, again, what we would say is modern Israel is not the same as biblical Israel. Right, right, uh, but but right. And there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And, and Rabbi, let me just say, even yeah. within our community, you have you have futurists and you have historists That's right. in terms of their eschatological yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Is that uh, – I was talking with uh, Bishop Robert Stern's Vigil's Wings. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said to me that – some of the younger... Can I tell you, I did not expect to hear that name on this radio program. So I, I, I talked to him a couple of years ago. That's great. Okay, yeah. So um, the, the younger seminarians yeah. don't exhibit the same love for Israel as a nation as the older, the, the graduates, so to speak. Yep. So there's a changing attitude. There's a, there's a generational shift. I think that's very true. Uh, and I think part of that is it's multifaceted. For one is for older pastors and leaders... The restoration of Israel is within their lifetime or their parents' lifetime, and it's a stunning, shocking picture. And the stories were told of, you know, 48 or 67 or 73, and they point to those eras, and it's just, you know, just it's miraculous storytelling. And if you go to a meeting of 
like I, I'm a speaker at denominational meetings. They'll, you know, the Department of Tourism is there and, you know, they kind of put these big videos and tell a story and it's very powerful. I think younger evangelicals tend to be still pro-Israel, but are concerned that we wouldn't have a blanket acceptance of everything that would come out of the modern state of Israel, mm-hmm. would be concerned mm-hmm. about Palestinians, would be concerned. And I, and I think people in Israel rightfully yeah, so yeah. as well. So I'm not saying anything you don't know, but I think that that has caused more conversations. So I don't think you see this blanket support, Israel right or wrong, but I do think you see Israel as a special ally in the Middle East. You see you know, the the religious freedom that, that, that's there in ways that just doesn't exist in so many other places. Right, right. And might I say, imperfectly, let's not hear a blank, you know, full affirmation of Israel's view on religious freedom. But, but I do think there is some shift generationally. And I, I think ultimately we still have work to do uh, what, for evangelicals to think more deeply about how they should engage questions in and around Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And as a social leaning that this generation has to what they perceive as the underdog, yeah, so fair. when you look at the Palestinians, they're saying, yeah. okay, Israel is this power yeah. and, you know, this dominant yeah. force over the so, Palestinians. So they'll lean in the direction of the Palestinians because they see them as the one who needs the disenfranchised and marginalized. Yeah. So what I see here in our discussion, and you mentioned the word dialogue, or you call it trilogue, yeah. there is a need to expand our uh, our thinking with, with one another Agreed. because we operate very often in separate spiritual silos, religious silos. We need to talk more to each other. When it comes to uh, conversionism, sure. talk about, well, how do, how do we do it and still respect right. that neighbor? Where, where, where are the love lines? Where, yeah. where are the lines? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It comes to Israel, discussion with Israel, how do we talk yeah. to one another about Israel totally. without, you know, insulting, without, you know, you can criticize, you can be a loving critic. You know, a, a gardener once said years ago, the problem is we have uncritical lovers and unloving critics. That's right? good. You can be a critical lover. Yeah. Right. Uh, as you have in a, in a family relationship. That's a good way to put it. We should have some kind of strategic plan, right? As religious leaders saying, these these are some of the steps necessary yep. to build on a foundation of understanding and respect. Let's go forward. I think we can model that, but everyone's not going to get on board. There are people, again, when do we have that unanimity of opinion? Yeah, it's true. Which, which we work hard to try to get the hermeneutic to precede the homiletic. And Come on, do you problem. just throw around words like hermeneutic and homiletic on this radio? You have the most educated audience. In other words, how you interpret scripture to how you teach or preach scripture. Right. So I love that you throw those things. And I would say, too, one of the things, Rabbi, that I think is helpful, and you guys model this, is for in the 50s and 60s and 70s, everyone tried to say, well, we all sort of believe the same thing. We all think there are different paths, but they're the same paths to the same God. And we just, and that's not really what we think. That's not really what Muslims think. That's not really what many Christians think. It's not really most Jewish. And so I think we got to get past kind of those, what I would say, immature conversations that we just pretend that we don't have deep differences about truth and God. Mm-hmm. We do, but we have to learn to all live together. And I want to have the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel, and I think other people should have the opportunity to share with me. And I think it's interesting, as we have this conversation, that it's the three Abrahamic faiths that are at odds with each other yeah, with yeah, regard sure. to what I, this all looks one like. One of the thrills I have in my work as a rabbi is I get a call from Reverend A.R. Bernard. Yeah, I love him. And it says the following to me. Rabbi, I'm looking at Genesis chapter 22. Tell me what this phrase means. Love it. And I say, Rev, let me just get the commentary in front of me yeah. so you know I'm not just sure, sure. quoting from memory. I love that. That's awesome. And I know very well that my text is not necessarily his text, sure. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the two texts can yeah. you know, I be want open. your perspective on that text. Yeah, no that's way. Why no I'm way. No, of course. I mean, no way you'd want to not 
understand the Hebrew Scriptures without having some commentary. Now, we do tend to read these things through the lens of the coming Christ, but knowing the depth of that really matters. I love the fact that you guys have that kind of relationship. I feel like I've, I've come in and been friends, and you mentioned dinner. I'm kind of looking forward to that dinner. <laughs> and right you know now. what? You came here today, yes. and you were, you know, again, you're very steadfast in, in your belief, and you made no attempt to, to disrespect or nope. dilute no mine. No reason to. And we walk away understanding better one another. Respect matters. If only we could take this spirit and bring it to the outside. Four room. times he's referred to that dinner. So you know he's going yeah, to collect. I know, oh, dude. I know. I'm going to collect with him. <laughs> we should all. It'd be a great time. I yeah. love it. Once again, I'm picking up the check. All right. I get it. I get Once it. again, did you? Ed, it is great to have Good you to on. See you, we look forward to having you on from time you, to time. Again. Great conversation. Thank you for all you do, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. And of course, uh, a Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, and as well. Merry. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. And a healthy one. Yeah. Amen. And we'll be back right here on 77 WABC with more of the dynamic duo. And you know by now who's the dynamic duo. Yeah, right, the rabbi and the rev. We'll be back. (laughs) Where faith matters. The rev and the rabbi. Talk radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Tassner. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. So, Rabbi, you stood your ground there in that conversation. You know what? But I think, not I think, that's who I am. That's who you are, that's who Ed is. We we didn't, you know, come to our positions for the sake of betraying who we are. Right. Right? If, and if you can't sit at the same table as we did and hold your ground and say, look, I disagree, uh, and there's a tension here, and I think Ed used the word tension, mm-hmm. you know, with the conversion aspect. Uh, when I see Jews for Jesus, yeah, I, I'm troubled by it. Because it's it's a declaration that I think is somewhat deceptive. Mm-hmm. Not so it's deceptive. Because I don't see how one can be a Jew and accept Christ as Messiah. We can accept Christ as a great For teacher. For you it's an oxymoron. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's uh it's great teacher, uh great leader, but not my Messiah. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't deprecate your faith. That just says this is this is who I am. You have the right to your belief, but I I certainly don't have to prevent Ed or anyone else from speaking his mind or her mind. Uh, but I can also say we find this painful. Uh, let me show you how deep this goes emotionally, because when when I converted to Christianity, right from Islam, uh, I went into a Pentecostal church. And, you know, Jesus was coming back in at least two weeks. So (laughs) just back up and get ready to go, you know. (laughs) Don't do anything with your life. But um, they would take a passage from the Old Testament, our Old Testament, and which said that if you don't speak to these people, their blood will be on your hands. Mm -hmm. And they translated that into this proselytization, the conversion of others. And they taught, this is what they taught in the churches and still do, that if an opportunity presents itself and you let it go, that God's going to require the blood of that person's failure to embrace our faith on your hands. So you understand how deep this goes in their religious belief system? I say there because, you know, I don't subscribe to that. But people actually believe these things. And if we were to get into Christianity, you know, and, and how a text, I use the word hermeneutic should precede homiletic. Hermeneutic is your interpretation should be pure before you look to preach from the text, you know. Um, but you take passages that talk about 
um, you'll tread on serpents. You know, that, that's symbolic language. But there are those who take that literally. And in the South, you have practices within certain Pentecostal churches where the preacher literally takes up a snake, mm. a poisonous snake, and, and holds it and juggles with it while they're in the worship service. And if they get bit, they expect to live. And some have died. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's how far people can take this. Well, stuff. you see, when when I hear the word conversion, think back in Jewish history, what that meant. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, forced conversion. Right. That's that's good. That's you know, a different perspective imposed on it. Imposed yeah. conversion wasn't mm-hmm. that I was free to choose. If I didn't choose, you know, Christianity, I would pay a severe price, sometimes with my life. That's right. You know, right. we have liturgy, for example, during the holy days, how the Romans, you know, tortured. Uh, the Jews and how they, under different, uh, even different popes, you know, you had these four situations where, mm-hmm. you know, if you didn't change your belief, it was over for you. So we're very nervous about the word conversion, yeah. which you, know, you you give perspective, and many people don't know that history. Of course, we know that you know it's under Constantine that uh, uh, Christianity became the religion of the empire. Right, right. Jews what weren't century? allowed to intermarry. Jews were not allowed to hold. Uh, political office. Um, I don't know if you could own property. I'm trying to remember. So. No, you couldn't no. own property. And and that persecution continued for quite some time. But we also have to recognize there's a different chapter. So, you know, meeting with Ed, who's a distinguished leader uh, in the evangelical world, uh, you know, he, he's firm, but he's also, he's sensitive mm-hmm. to, you know, hearing what the other has to say. We talked about the Mormon. Right. You know, negotiation <laughs> and we worked out a resolution but that wouldn't have come about unless people were willing to sit together at a table and saying we're not going to walk away until we find a path where i can hold to my belief but at the same time not in any way insult your belief i think that distinguishes religious leaders here in new york city we of different faiths sit at the table we talk we share together we we take up common causes we stand up when, when there are issues of justice or injustice, you know what I mean? And you don't see that dynamic in, in such large cities uh, across this country. And we stand up for the other. So, you know, a, 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 an act of anti-Semitism is perpetrated, you're there. Yeah. You know, as an act, uh, a, a tree is desecrated, you know, uh, and I'm there. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 we're there for one another, even though we walk away with our different Bibles, you know, we walk away together. Yeah. So... It's a it's a great moment uh, of yeah. appreciation for where as Ed said a pluralistic society. Yeah, and good interview. Um, I love him and love uh, just uh, spending time interacting with him intellectually, and uh, I thought it was a great great interview. I think God looks down and says, "This is what I want religious people to do. Yeah. You can argue with each other, just don't kill each other." Hey, wait a minute! Isn't that uh, a text from the old? Excuse me, the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, yeah. Come, let us reason together. together. Yeah, and that's also, it. You know, this kind of, when we used to study Talmud, we argue with the other person. No, no, I don't accept that. But we walk away and have lunch together. That's it. Right? That's it. That's the spirit. All right. Hell, yeah. Christmas. Wish you a, the the blessings, you know, there's an old Yiddish saying, you should have what you want. Not what you want, you should have what you need. Hmm. Well, Hmm. I want to be a little more generous. I hope you have, you know, this what you want, but also what you need. And we need you. Thank you, my friend. Till next time. The Rev. And the rabbi.